Welcome to Taxpayer Talk. In today's episode, I sit down with Professor Robert McCulloch from the Auckland University Business School. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Thank you for having me. Now, Rob, you recently wrote a column in the NBR, the National Business, the National Business Review, asking, has Aotearnomics become Labour's plan for NZ? Now, Aotearnomics is not a concept or a phrase that you invented. Rather, it was used at a, a conference you attended. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I didn't attend it, but it's, it's on the web, and I um, had friends who attended, and it was one of the keynote uh, addresses uh, there. So, and I saw the uh, the opening the opening slide. Mm. And this this was uh, the chief the economist at MPI, the Ministry the of Primary Ministry Industries. of yeah primary uh, primary industries. So, yeah. tell us, please, um, in brief terms, hopefully, uh, what is aotianomics? Well, it seems an invented. Uh, word um, that most of us hadn't seen before, but um, a- as it was defined by the presenter at the keynote address at the uh, Association of Economists Conference, it's, it's, it's associated with a what was referred to as a post-growth agenda, a holistic post-growth agenda. So it seems to be an agenda which doesn't weight GDP growth at all and which focuses on on other things. And yes. so that's how they, they defined it. So that's what raised my eyebrows, that um, you have um, senior civil servants um, talking uh, the language that GDP growth uh, isn't important anymore yes. for the country. Would, would that represent a shift in consensus if we decided that GDP growth was no longer a priority? A shift in contentness. And consensus. <laughs> In consensus, sorry. Um, well, of course, it would it would denote uh, uh, probably the biggest um, departure of what we thought was a, a consensus over the past uh, you know century or so in in the country that um, uh, no longer was the government focusing on economic prosperity uh, whatsoever, but um, it has uh, other aims. So mm-hmm. the article uh, in the National Business Review is more a call for the government to be transparent and open as to what exactly its aims are. It's not necessarily criticising the approach. It's not saying it's bad to have a post-growth agenda, but it raises eyebrows uh, because if you listen to the speeches of the Prime Minister, of the Minister of Finance, they certainly uh, don't admit that uh, New Zealand has embarked on a post-growth Yes. Uh, agenda. But if you listen to senior civil servants, uh, also the head of the Productivity Commission uh, has said that he doesn't think that GDP is a measure of um, anything particularly useful. Yes. So you have quite a lot of uh, rhetoric, speeches, presentations of you know, quite a quite a group yeah. um, of government, high-level government bureaucrats saying that we have entered uh, an era where GDP growth is not important. So the article is saying, well, we, you know, let's let's be clear. Sure. I think we might rattle through some of those uh, bureaucrats who've taken up this post-growth or even anti-growth language. But first, um, I should probably just ask you the most interminably basic question, which is what is productivity and why does it matter? Uh, productivity, well, well GDP... Um, Itself is gross gross domestic product, so total value of production produced in in a country in in a given year. Um, and to measure how productive we are, uh, people often 
will divide output by the number of people. So one, one crude measure of productivity is just GDP per head, but uh, a better measure is the output per hour worked. So one of the most commonly measured of measures of productivity is how much, what's the value of production we're getting for every hour people spend on, on their work. And that's, that's on average, presumably. Yeah, an average, yeah. and that's on average. Um, you can do it for different industries, but uh, that gives you, for the nation, an average measure of how, how productive we are. And what Kiwis produce per hour worked is a lot less than Americans. It's a lot less than, than Germans. So it's, it's sure. become quite a, an issue in this country. My, my next question to you, and I guess this ties into why some people don't get all that excited about productivity, is whether it's a bit abstract. Uh, so therefore, I guess the question is, how does higher growth or higher productivity actually translate into a better quality of life? Uh, for example, some listeners will think life in New Zealand is already the envy of the world. Is life in, say, you know, Australia really that better off just because it's got a higher level of growth? Yeah, exactly. So you're getting to, uh, you know, one of the big questions in this in this subject, which um, seems to be at the heart of the government's well-being agenda. Um, some some folks are arguing, uh, most famously a chap called Richard Easterlin, who is regarded as one of the founders of well-being economics. Um, he believes that economic growth, uh, increasing GDP per capita per person, doesn't lead to higher well-being in countries. So not everyone who's into this sort of well-being agenda agrees with him, but quite a few people who uh, are into well-being economics and this agenda do agree with him. They think that GDP growth hasn't made people uh, any any happier and materialism is is a bad thing, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, the rat race, mm-hmm. the deteriorating environment. And, and I think that's behind um, the speech at the yeah. Inter Association of, of Economists conference. Um, but that's far from proven, and it's still highly controversial. And the other view is uh, that higher income, uh, higher incomes per capita, if your income is higher, then that gives you a lot more options in life. Um, countries with higher GDP per capita um, are able to afford, for example, better health systems. Yes. Uh, they can maybe afford better, better drugs. Um, you know, it's an issue in this country. Can Pharmac afford to buy all these expensive drugs and it's got a limited budget? So the higher our per capita income is, uh, the, the more drugs it can afford, the, the more sophisticated medical equipment the country uh, can afford. Yes. Um, and also countries, so countries with higher GDP per capita tend to have higher life expectancy, better health outcomes. Um, and they also tend to actually have better environmental outcomes. Uh, the worst environmental outcomes are typically centred more around the uh, less developed countries. Yes, uh, in, in in the world. So I was so, I was wondering, um, you know, where the where these anti growth or post growth ideas come. And just as you were talking, I I, I realised it's probably quite easy to uh, to jump on these ideas if you're living a comfortable life. Uh, you might then think, well, do we really need to keep increasing output? Uh, do we need to keep up with the Joneses? But if you're in a waiting list for a drug you, that you're waiting to have funded by Pharmac, for example, then surely a, a little bit more national wealth is something to hope for. Exactly, yeah. So that's the heart of the debate. And uh, it's not an entirely settled. And, and 
My suspicion is that it is a controversial issue in this country, and it explains why the government, what you just said, explains why the government has um, prioritised the well-being agenda. Because a lot of Kiwis quite like this idea that um, you know life's not as stressful, maybe in New Zealand as it could be in maybe New York or or, or London or Shanghai. Um, there's a better sort of work-life balance. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about New Zealand in terms of a high overall quality of life. People want a good environment. And so a lot of those things are quite appealing. But like you said, at the same time, we want a very good health system, a very good education system. Um, one thing that's maybe threatening well-being in this country also is that Kiwis are working quite long hours. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're above the OECD average and in hours, the Productivity Commission has talked about that. So Kiwis are finding they're having to work longer to make ends ends meet. And so some of these issues that, you know, incomes are not as high as they could be, the cost of living is very high, housing is very high, the health system is getting all these pressures now from an aging population. So one one sort of, there's a certain, I think, nervousness that the standard of living in New Zealand is, you know, possibly under under threat, and even its quality yes. of life is under threat. Yes. Now, across the Wellington bureaucracy, um, quite a few different individuals and even institutions have popped their head up. Uh, you know, bucking this old consensus about growth. Uh, we've talked about uh, MBI, mm. that's the Ministry of Primary Industries. Uh, we've talked about the Productivity Commission, which is incredible considering it's named the Productivity Commission. Yeah. Uh, I believe in your column, though, you also mentioned the Reserve Bank and the Climate mm. Commission. Could you run through um, how that plays out in those institutions, how we've seen this anti-growth agenda? Well, of course, the, the folks in those institutions, the bureaucrats, would kind of be quick to deny it. But... When you look at what they're saying, it's not quite so clear. Um, for example, the Climate Change Commission, there are well-known ways in uh, economics to promote the environment and at the same time promote economic growth. Mm-hmm. So the commonly advocated one is um, carbon taxes, which yep. is similar to emissions trading scheme. It's putting a price on on carbon. And then the revenues um, can be used uh, either from the, you know, auctioning the carbon permits or, or the revenues from tax to cut other tax rates. Yes. So that's called tax neutral. Um, you can put in a carbon tax, but uh, if you're uh, producing, emitting carbon, you pay more tax, but the revenues used to cut, you know, income or corporate taxes. Yeah. So for everyone else, the taxes go down. Yeah. So it's not about bigger government. It's well, just about pricing the, the, the carbon. So countries, you know, who are serious about growth and the environment would tend to do a policy like that. But that's not the policy that was advocated by the Climate Change Commission. No, um, they advocate was, regulation, essentially, don't they, instead of... Yeah, they, they advocate uh, quite a bunch of reg- regulation. And certainly there's no talk about the revenues getting the revenues from the sale of emissions permits, auctioning to cut other tax rates. 
um, yes. or, or there's barely any talk of carbon tax in there uh, yeah. at, at all, they, but certainly no talk of using the revenues from those sorts of things to, yeah, we, to cut tax rates. We've, um, we've worked with the New Zealand Initiative. Uh, they, they gave us all these examples of measures proposed by the Climate Change Commission, and I think it was mm. the, the, the dollar per tonne cost of uh, eliminating a, a, a tonne of um, carbon emissions. And under the ETS, I think we're achieving something like, is it 80 cents or 50 cents? Uh, but mm. some, of, some of the proposals advocated uh, through regulation, the cost was 10 or even 100 times uh, that. Yes, so exactly. It's, so one sort of becomes suspicious of exactly what is, is the priority. Um, is economic growth not really important there. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, the obvious question, right? It's not necessarily that they're incompetent. Maybe they do have actually a different uh, agenda there. And it sounds conspiratorial mm. using the word agenda, but essentially, what do you think the motivation for those types of policies is? Well, that's that's the question, because there are, as, as I said, well-known you know, techniques in economics, well-known policies where you can try to in, improve growth and productivity, and at the same time have a good environment. That's right, and it, but that just doesn't, you know, doesn't seem to be important to them. Um, and in the case of the Reserve Bank, again, publicly they would probably deny they didn't have, uh, 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 they had a, some kind of anti-growth agenda. But when you look at the speeches, the assistant governor gave a speech where he was. Um, speaking very fondly of a more stakeholder approach to yes. uh, economic management. Well, you know, hang on a sec. If you, I, I wasn't really aware that the Reserve Bank should have a view on sort of shareholder versus stakeholder model because it's not really anything to do with monetary policy or financial stability. But most economists would t tend to think of the stakeholder approach as one that is not so pro-growth as... Um, the shareholder approach. The shareholder approach yes. is more built around efficiency, productivity, maximising you know shareholder value. Uh, the stakeholder approach is more about running a, a, a business for everyone. Yeah, like every um, business is obligated to serve everyone's interest, and I guess not just everyone, right. also um, non non human elements such as the environment and so on. That's right. So again, I'm, I'm not critiquing. The stakeholder approach, and quite a few countries in Europe have adopted that. Um, but it would so be radical. All, all, it would be radical change. Yes, that's exactly. It's all fine with me. But New Zealand does operate under. It has operated for a century or so under the shareholder approach. Um, we, we copied a lot of that. Company law was was adopted from the UK, which runs under the shareholder approach, as does the United States. So. If you're going to suddenly up, do an upheaval of the shareholder model and adopt a stakeholder model, it's 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 quite a radical change, and you know it's it's often associated with uh, weighting other factors maybe more heavily than productivity and economic growth. Yes. Do so, you, mm. do you think uh, in the Wellington bureaucracy there has actually been a recent shift uh, in view towards these issues, or is it actually a case of officials having long held these beliefs, but only now choosing to pipe up? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know, but um, there are suspicions with maybe how uh, hiring is going on in, in Wellington, the kinds of profiles of people yeah. being hired, um, that it could be emerging 
uh, from that background. Um, quite a few of us have long lamented the hiring practices, especially at the New Zealand Treasury. Yeah, um, we're talking about fewer economists, aren't we? Yeah, the old sort of, they seem to have an aversion to uh, economists, which is really their core, you know, <laughs> what, what, what their core objective should be on uh, hiring economists to, you know, their, their mission is to give sound economic advice to the government. And economists are pretty much trained in this idea, you know, that uh, productivity is important, that the subject is built around the importance of, of output. And the subject begins with the idea that happiness uh, is largely derived from from our income. The more income you have, the more uh, opportunities you have, um, the more options you have, because you can you know use your income to consume, you can use your income to take more leisure, um, and so income is extremely important. So the whole subject's built around yes. uh, that that notion that our happiness comes. Uh, from from the income that, that 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 we have, so this kind of hiring practice away from economics to other disciplines and other disciplines which maybe don't, you know, are not as materialistic, if you like, as economics. At the Taxpayers Union, we are just upstairs from the Social Wellbeing Agency, and they they are the highest paid agency uh, in the public service on a per staff member basis. And it seems that a lot of what they do, and indeed this happens in other agencies as well, perhaps even Treasury, is they actually um, they're, they're building building systems from the ground up because they've thrown they've thrown out uh, the existing orthodoxy, and now they're looking at everything through a well-being lens. So mm. perhaps that explains why groups like Treasury are hiring so many arts mm. graduates because they literally have to reinvent the wheel if they're doing this stuff. Well, the interesting thing about that is, you see, I'm I'm quite a fan of um, uh, quite a lot of this so-called well well-being economics. I worked in America with a couple of chaps, Angus Deaton, Danny Kahneman, who they both won Nobel prizes partly around work in this in this sort of area. But I, I would say how we think of well-being economics from the economist's point of view is probably very different from how Wellington is. Is hiring people who are involved with well-being. I think well-being in Wellington's become a sort of catch-all, mm. and it's a bit worrying that maybe the, the word well-being is becoming associated with an anti-growth agenda in Wellington. Um, whereas, if you read uh, articles uh, by, for example, economists, uh, there's a uh, quite a well-known Aussie economist, Justin Wolf, is at Michigan, originally from Sydney, as well as. Deaton, uh, the Nobel laureate, they've written articles saying that they actually think uh, well-being uh, rises with uh, economic growth, it rises with income, yep. and that it's way too early to dismiss this idea that economic growth is not important for well-being. So there's quite a, it's a bit nuanced, but there's quite a debate there raging as to even if you, are, uh, you know, into well-being as most of us, us are, but what are the drivers of it? And there are, there are many sort of very influential folks who think it's too early to give up on economic growth, that, eco- that economic growth is important to buy you a good health system, a good environment. You know, if you want to, if you want to buy electric cars, a lot of technologies now, um, need economic growth to be able to afford them. Sure. And so they think that well-being is linked, um, and that economic growth is, is important. But I think the way the Wellington is going is 
somehow that word well-being is almost, um, what's unsettling is it's maybe not even being associated with well-being economics, but a very sort of it's a holistic word encompassing a, a lot of other understandings to people that, that it's associated with a post-growth economy and a post-growth country, which you know, doesn't value economic growth at all. Yes. Well, in terms of role of government, it's an interesting one because now even local councils are uh, required to um, fulfil a well-being function, uh, which mm. in practice we've seen essentially means that they have free licence to undertake any particular activity in any particular sector that they like. Yes, and the people, the leading economists who work in this area mostly say um, although the subject's quite a long way, it's too early to make uh, strong policy recommendations. So, you know, most of the ones actually who've studied the subject wouldn't dare to uh, implement it in the way that it is being implemented by these sorts of folks you're talking about. And that's the main reason why a lot of countries haven't done it yet. Um, it's not that they don't know a lot about the subject. I mean, most of the leaders in the field are, are not from New Zealand. Um, and, you know, the countries that are really into the well-being thing, it still isn't, you know, hasn't been implemented to a large extent in their yeah. policies because they're not exactly sure how. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite incredible to imagine how, um, for example, Carterton District Council is meant to implement a well-being policy when um, even Wellington itself hasn't really settled on a consensus view on what it means. Well, the, and it starts with measuring well-being, which is still highly controversial because we it's, it's, there's a lot of disagreement on exactly the correct measure we should be using. Mm. Um, so, you know, they're trying to collect some data on sort of things like life satisfaction in Wellington, um, but the psychologists, uh, famous psychologists like Danny Kahneman are sort of arguing they should be measuring more the emotions, sort of, you know, sadness, joy, um, anger, there, there are, you know, that that's the psychologists relate more to those sorts of things, which the New Zealand government largely isn't collecting data true, on. True. So there are a lot of diff- different dimensions of it, and if you can't measure it, it's hard to target it. Yeah. So, so at the Taxpayers Union, it's uh, as you can probably guess, we do um, favour the traditional view that you know a few more dollars left in your back pocket is probably going to make you happier rather than sadder. So for this last question, I'll get you to. Uh, put on your, your hat as a traditional growth-interested economist. Um, if you woke up tomorrow and for some reason you found yourself with your hands on the levers of power, is there one particular thing you'd like to do to set New Zealand back on a path to greater growth, greater productivity and greater prosperity? Yeah, and, and also greater happiness, greater well-being. Uh, it would be a welfare reform and it would be based around introducing personal savings accounts for all New Zealanders. So all Kiwis would have uh, their own personal health account. Uh, everyone would have a Kiwi Saver account. Um, and so people would be able to save for their retirement and also have funds in their health account to uh, greatly expand the choices they had in terms of, uh, in terms of health care. So would that, that go would hand be... in hand with some kind of reduction in the funding of our health system? or um, uh, no, no, it wouldn't. Um, in fact, funding would increase. And the funding would increase through cuts in corporate welfare. Mm-hmm. So uh, things like uh, you know grants to favoured industries like the movies, racing. Uh, there are mm-hmm. also tra- tra- transfers to wealthy people 
in terms of the winter uh, heating allowance. Um, also, uh, high-income earners, their children can go to university. Yeah. We're, we're absolutely with you there. Yeah. So those sorts of um, those sorts of payments uh, would be diverted uh, into the savings accounts for all Kiwis. So it would especially help low-income New Zealanders, and uh, everyone could have a health savings account, a, a pension account along Kiwi Saver lines, and so people's uh, health outcomes would improve. They'd have more more funds for retirement. So it would be pro savings. Um, and pro 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 well-being and pro productivity as there was more, more funds available for investment. Makes sense. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us. Uh, the Taxpayer Talk podcast is made possible by the tens of thousands of New Zealanders who join or support the Taxpayers Union at taxpayers.org.nz. Constructive feedback is welcome via podcast at taxpayers.org.nz and don't forget to hit subscribe or even give us a five-star review on your podcast app.